I'd invite you to pray with me. Gracious and holy God, uh, your word, your teaching truly is a gift to us. God, we thank you for these words of Jesus we are about to hear. Um, and God, we pray that uh, we might receive them this day. Uh, that you might help us open up our hearts and our minds, our spirits. You might help us lay down the things that are swimming in those hearts, minds, and spirits right now so that we can focus in on your teaching, so that we can receive your word of grace, so that we can follow after your son in the life uh, he longs to lead us into. God, we are grateful. Um, help us be faithful. It's in your name. Amen. Um, our reading this morning comes from two places in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, first from chapter 10, verse 40, and then uh, a selection and teaching from chapter 25. Let us listen to God's word for us this day. Those who receive you are also receiving me, and those who receive me are receiving the one who sent me. And now from Matthew 25, this is Jesus, uh, kind of the conclusion of uh, a sermon. Now when the human one comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he will put on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared, to you, prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you didn't give me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't do anything to help you? Then he will answer, I assure you that when you haven't done it for one of the least of these, you haven't done it for me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, 
but the righteous ones will go into eternal life. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So when you own a farm, lots of people have lots of opinions about what animals you should have on your place. Two of the people with the strongest opinions are our daughters. And at the top of their list of what we should add to our farm is goats, especially when they see the cute little ones, right? Anytime they or someone else suggests this addition, I immediately shut them down. As you saw in our children's sermon, goats are one of the hardest animals to fence, for they have a reputation of being wily escape artists. We don't have a perimeter fence on our farm, so while I am not signing up to add anything new to our mix, just to be really clear, goats would be near the bottom of our list if I were. If I were. Every time our girls bring up goats, I just picture myself exasperatedly chasing a rogue animal down our country road. Which is a very different image than a flock of sheep calmly following after their shepherd. Jesus wants to hold that contrast in our mind's eye as we listen to his teaching for us today. For the sheep he describes choose to follow after their shepherd and his example while the goats are focused on going their own way. Our scripture today comes at the end of Jesus' fifth and final sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. The sermon is kicked off with a question from one of the disciples. Tell us, he asks, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus then spends the next two chapters answering the question, with our scripture from today poised as the conclusion to it, the final teaching from Jesus and Matthew before he steps into the week of his passion. Just two days after he preaches this sermon, he shares his last supper with his disciples and is arrested. Jesus is working to prepare the disciples for what is to come, and how they are to live when he is no longer with them. The sermon is focused on the end times, the coming kingdom of God, the judgment that will occur when Christ returns. The imagery used by Jesus here in his final sermon <clears throat> calls us back to what was prophesied by Daniel. I suddenly saw one like a human being coming with the heavenly clouds, he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. Rule, glory, and kingship were given to him. All peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. His rule is an everlasting one. It will never pass away. His kingship is indestructible. What we know now, that the disciples didn't know then, was that Christ's everlasting rule would be so different than the rulers of our world, that the indestructible nature of his kingship would come not through power and might, but instead through sacrifice and suffering. Similarly, the terms of Christ's judgment at the end times is so radically different than the ways we are judged in the world today. The measure of righteousness that Christ lays out here 
is not about following the rules or living lives that adhere to the letter of the law. It is not about worldly success nor achievements. It is also not about a collection of good deeds recorded and tracked carefully so that they could be turned in at the end of a life to prove that one has earned a spot in heaven. The measure of righteousness laid out in this teaching is a faithful life of a sheep following in the footsteps of, the sh of its shepherd. It is a life lived in right relationship with the God who loves us first and invites us to live out that love in and for the world. Barry Corey, who we were introduced to last week, wrote his book, Love Kindness, as a response to the death of his father. His book opens with this scene. I held the hand of the kindest man I ever knew, sitting by his bedside in silent reverence while he lay shrouded in sheets bleached white. We were alone in a Boston palliative care room, just the two of us except for a hospice nurse occasionally interrupting the holy to adjust a drip or check a vital. Room 402 was a sacred space. I looked at him that night as he looked at nothing, and I shook my head at the cruelty of cancer. After three years of potent drugs, radiation, wheelchairs, epidurals, and horrible pain that drove him to weeping, he never asked, why me? When visitors walked into his room, even during his last days, he made them the honored guests. I thought about his kindness that night as the sounds of his irregular breathing softened. By morning, my father, the kind-hearted reverend, was dead. Years later, what I recall is not his courage in death. It is his kindness in life. His kindness was the open door for friends and strangers to enter. I had never given serious thought to the revolutionary power of kindness until my father died. Then I started paying attention to the stories about him. He wasn't quickly forgotten. His gentle influence rippled on and continues to ripple on. The stories were neither about his commanding leadership nor about his well-known status. He didn't start a company, earn much money, make the news, hold public office, or write a book. No one would have drafted his Wikipedia page. The stories were about his spirit of kindness. His influence ran deep and wide, showing up in kindness lavished liberally. He was wildly welcoming, epic in life because he was epic in love. Decades before, when his father was visiting him while he was studying and researching in Bangladesh, Corey's father shared with him the scripture that was at the center of his life. Our scripture from a bit earlier in the Gospel of Matthew than our teaching about the sheep and the goats, Matthew 10, 40. Those who receive you are also receiving me, 
and those who receive me are receiving the one who sent me. Corey's father lived his life seeking to be receivable. It's an interesting use of the word that draws our focus to a different subject than our most normal use of it. So often when we think of the verb receive, our focus is on the one who is doing the receiving. Yet Corey's father honed in on the other actor in the relationship. He lived his life seeking to be receivable, seeking to approach the people God brought into his life with such humility and kindness that they would let him in so that he could then, by the grace of God, allow them to not just receive him, but also the one who sent him. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Corey names that his father sought to follow after his shepherd, to live a receivable life just as Jesus not only taught, but also lived. To love your enemies, receive a child in Jesus' name, pray for those who persecute you, when you're slapped on the cheek, turn the other. Listen to the shunned harlot. Talk to the scorned tax collector. When someone takes your coat, give him your shirt. When someone tells you she wants you to walk a mile with her, walk too. It was his life's mission to be receivable for others so that through him they would come to know the love God has for them. He told his son on that long-ago day as they walked the streets of Bangladesh, filled with so many people who were hungry, thirsty, in need of clothes, welcome, and care. I've got to live my life so strangers, friends, the aching, lonely family, they receive me. And through me, they see God's inexhaustible love. The receivable, receivable life Corey witnessed in his father is the life of the sheep captured by Jesus in his teaching. It's a life of extending the loving kindness we have already received from God so that others might receive it as well. Jesus' final teaching in Matthew can mistakenly be interpreted as evidence of works righteousness, that we are deemed righteous by what we do or what we don't do that we earn our spot in heaven through a collection of our good deeds. But as scholar Elizabeth Johnson argues, Jesus' teaching is more nuanced than that. The righteous sheep found on Jesus' right are told they will inherit the kingdom. Johnson writes, The kingdom is an inheritance, a gift, not something earned. Moreover, the righteous are unaware of what they have done. Lord, when did we see you hungry, they wonder. They have not been acting in some calculated way to earn God's favor. They have simply been doing what comes naturally for them in caring for their neighbors in need. Their actions are a sign of their relationship with a loving and merciful God, with the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve. 
Those on the king's left are likewise surprised to learn that they have encountered him in the lowly and needy. They too have simply been doing what comes naturally to them, looking out for their own interests and not being bothered with the needs of others. This too is a sign of their relationship or lack thereof with the Son of Man. They simply do not know him or understand his way of love and mercy. It is out as we allow ourselves to receive Jesus, to trust his love and mercy over us, to draw closer in relationship to him, to seek to follow in his footsteps like faithful sheep, instead of going our own way like those wily goats, that we are led to let ourselves be receivable to others. It is as we experience the loving kindness of our God through Christ, a God who meets the hungry with abundant food, the thirsty with living water, the stranger with radical welcome, the naked with both a tunic and a shirt, the sick and imprisoned prisoner with both presence and freedom. It is as we experience the loving kindness of our God through Christ who took on our suffering so that we might have life, that we are led to share of that loving kindness with any and all we meet, whether they choose to receive it or not. Jesus makes it clear that at the end of our life, what will matter, what will count, is not our wealth or our status, not our knowledge of scripture or our exceptional spiritual gifts. It will not be a laundry list of our achievements or our good deeds. What will be our life's true measure will be our relationships, the love we have received and the love that has been received by others through us. What makes us righteous is following after our good shepherd because we love him and trust him, and long to live like him. It's loving God with our whole being. It's loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. It is through mercy and grace that we receive the loving kindness of our God in and through Jesus Christ. Friends, it is also through mercy and grace that we make ourselves receivable so that strangers and friends the hungry and thirsty, the aching and lonely, the naked and tired, the sick and imprisoned, our brothers and sisters might receive the loving kindness of our God in and through us. May we be faithful sheep who love and follow after our good shepherd because he first loved us. Amen. Amen.